Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 36. Our skill topic for the week is inventing. We've sort of talked about it before, but not really. We've kind of just danced around it. But before we can get into it, Tanda, what skill class is inventing? Oh, wait. No, no, no. I'm sorry. It's not Tanda's turn. It's Tom's turn. Tom, what skill class is inventing? Oh, I, I, I wasn't prepared. I thought it was Tanda's turn. Uh, 717. Sev eleven teen, what? Yeah. What does that even mean? Well, give or take an order two. Oh. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh, um, Tanda, uh, what research did you do uh, on inventing? I didn't do a great deal of research. I kind of poked around on like early histories of the patent system. I didn't realize that it goes back to fourteen twenty one for the earliest patent which was must have been just an unusual concept to protect someone's idea from other people and be able to enforce that is kind of a novel thing very a very human invention to create a patent system another little tidbit um since we're talking about inventing that I read up on and I went to a few seminars on it back when it happened was uh, in 2011 uh, there was a, the America Invents Act, which means that as of sometime in 2013, the U.S. is on the same system that most of the rest of the world is, which is a first-to-file system as opposed to a first-to-invent system. Hmm. So if you're reading old literature and you're studying up on how to write a letter to yourself and record a date or uh, file provisionals and so forth— uh, you might check into you know something modern and and look into the first to file stuff because some of that stuff is no longer uh, no longer protects you in the same way that it did before 2013. So that was was what I found. I didn't really find a a lot other than that. So those those old rumors that keep circling around about mailing yourself something that actually was a thing up until 2013 ish. Well, our system used to be first to invent. And so if you took your case to court and can prove that you had invented it even before a patent was filed on it, then you stood a chance of winning your case because our system was first to invent. And now we've shifted to what most other people have, which is first to file. And so some of those hacks and stuff are are not as relevant as they used to be. So, All right. That's a bummer. That's... You know, that's good to know. I think there's a lot of people that are listening to this that that do invent things. It's always helpful when we have real, like, useful information on the show, which is kind of rare, honestly. Um, Tom, what did yeah. you find out this week in your research on inventing? Oh, man, what didn't I find out this week? I don't know. What didn't you find? Ah, <laughs> oh, man, I thought that was going to be That's good. a very large set of things. <laughs> The things Tom didn't didn't study up on this week. The entire internet right. is what I'm guessing. Yeah. Let me just go through my history real quick. So my my favorite inventor growing up was George Washington Carver. Um, Tom? And, Tom? Yeah. Yeah. It, are you going to repeat the entire speech you gave the last time you talked about George Washington Carver? Well, 
No, did I didn't talk about him before. Then how do I know that name? Because of history? No, because you talked about it on another episode. No, I did not. Tanda, do you want to back me up on this? No, I don't think Tom's ever ever mentioned George Washington Carver before. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tanda. Appreciate that. Well, this is new information. Either way. And I will talk about him again because uh, I get to do whatever I want. Um, I'm going to leave all that in. <laughs> so, uh, George Washington Carver, he was the peanut guy. He created 300 uses for peanuts, but he also created hundreds of uses for soybeans, uh, pecans, or pecans. One of those is wrong, and you're an idiot. Uh, and sweet potatoes, hundreds of uses. <laughs> you like how I threw that at both people? Um his work, uh, his work provided much needed boost to Southern farmers who benefited economically from his recipes and improvements to adhesives, axle grease, bleach, buttermilk, chili sauce, fuel briquettes, ink, instant coffee, linoleum, mayonnaise, meat tenderizer, metal polish, paper, plastic, pavement, shaving cream, shoe polish, synthetic rubber, talcum powder, and wood stain. And I just realized those were put in alphabetical order. Uh, Tom? Yeah? Um, what is a fuel brick hat? Briquette. Oh, oh, briquette. Briquette. I thought I corrected myself. A fuel brick hat is so you can wear it in, in, in clement weather, and it just has like one, one little piece of charcoal in it that you can light, and then it just keeps your ears warm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, you wouldn't understand. It's a secret. I, I was thinking winter hat, you know, to keep you warm, but it just, I was—I wanted clarification. I mean, this guy invented a lot of things. I didn't want to, you know, assume. A, a ton of things. Like, did, have, did you notice they're almost all, like, some form of liquid? Oh, yeah, the, 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 the liquid sweet potatoes. Yeah, those are my favorite. Right. Mashed sweet potatoes. You're welcome. Well, it sounds like he just had a bunch of food and was like, what am I going to do with all this? He sounded like it was, you know... Rotten sweet potatoes have to be good for something. Yeah, I think this guy, uh, he was he was into the 50-course the meal, is what it sounds like. <laughs> PJ, what'd you find? What'd you come up with? Well, rather than... I, I kind of figured Tanda was going to go the patent route, so I decided instead of going old, I was going to go new. So I looked for weird inventions, all like very, very modern, recent weird inventions. And I found a bunch. I tried to screen out the ones that were kind of boring, but still weird. So <clears throat> the first on the list was, you know, those, uh, the masks that like the, uh, that look like a bird that have a big nose you wear, uh, that the, what were they like the disease eaters? I think that's what they were called. Mm-hmm. That they wore during the during the plague that the doctors yeah. wore. Yeah. So some guy took that design and made it to where it's just a big nose that you can strap onto your face and called it a nose stylus. And it reaches out to your phone so you can actually touch your phone while you're holding it out with your in front of your face and just scroll through things by swiping with your head using because it's made of a conductive plastic. And so you can, it looks like something out of Clockwork Orange, basically. I, I've it's... been there and done that. <laughs> I mean, not with a nose stylus, but when you're wearing gloves or your hands are really dirty, I've navigated around my phone with my nose before, but I never considered a nose stylus. Apparently this product is for you. 
Tanda. I would either have to wear it all the time or figure out how I could put on, maybe I can add to the invention. Maybe I can make a new modification for a way to put on your nose stylus when your hands are gloved or dirty. So it's like a, it's like a quick detach, attach nose stylus with a docking station. I mean, if it was me, I'd want to have it as like some sort of attachment to my glasses to where it's like it's it's kind of shrunken in like it looks like a nose cover. And then you just flick your head and then the nose shoots out like Pinocchio and then you can scroll back and forth. And then when you're done, you just kind of push it back in. So that way it's not always hanging out. You know, that's that's what I would do. You, you've obviously never, never seen the jerk or, or you'd be leery <laughs> about such an invention. I saw it a long time ago. I don't remember there was a nose thing in there. But anyway, moving on. Uh, the next weird invention was metal detector sandals. And these look like Crocs that have a wire coming out of them. And then there is like one of those ankle monitors, like if you're in prison at home, strapped right. around your leg. That's what these look like. They They look like sandals with an ankle monitor, but they're actually metal detectors so that you can just walk around the beach and then find stuff. Oh, it's perfect. And it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah it's brilliant. And kids, kids think you've escaped from prison, and so they stay away from your find when you're digging up pennies and such. Their parent, their parents pull them back from you. Unfortunately, that that does not hold true for police officers that happen to be walking by. They they do not run away. They 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 do the opposite. So, and speaking of police officers, uh, the next weird invention is from 1954. It was a police issue snapper called the Doryu 216 camera. And it looks like a gun, but on the front of it, it has a sight with a lens. And when you pull the trigger, it takes a picture. It takes a picture of someone with a look on their face like they've just been shot. Ah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it actually makes like a loud noise like a gun does. And... Uh, if you find one of these, they're super rare. They sell at auction for $25,000. <laughs> yeah. Does it come with pictures of people having a heart attack? Yes. They all come <laughs> with heart attack victims. Every single one of them. Right. <laughs> so next on the list awesome. is something that um, I would assume is going to be more of a female thing because they had plenty of pictures of women with them. Vibrating jeans. Yeah. Mm. If your regular jeans are not good enough, you can get vibrating jeans in jean shorts and full-length jeans for, quote-unquote, leg-based thrills. Mm. <laughs> and I'm just going to leave that one right there. Um, Those probably therapeutic, like um, medicinal reasons. And, yes, you know, it's, uh, medicinal genes. Produce, produce uh, promote blood flow and things like that. So I... I Thing. I have no doubt there will be plenty of flow, Tom. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, moving right along, we have the ice cream cone rotator. And this was this was a real winner, guys. Um, are you tired of turning your own ice cream cone while you're eating ice cream? Well, fear not. I want one. All you have to do is hold it in place and push a button, and it will rotate the ice cream around your tongue for your ease of use in those hot days. Oh my gosh, I want one. Yeah. I just Googled it. I'm buying one. Let me find it. Amazon's <laughs> got to have it. So Tom's going to be <laughs> testing it for us. Oh yeah, yeah. Then we have uh, an oldie but a goodie. If you haven't seen one of these, the Baby Mop. And this is a baby onesie 
that has a mop bottom. <laughs> so as your child is claw is just you know crawling around on the floor, it's cleaning the floor. That's that's all it is. It's just somebody was really bored and was like, let's let's put this kid to work early. And I'm like, eh. It was a room the Roomba version zero point one. Yes. Yeah. The 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 Boomba. That's because he makes a boom boom. Right. You know. So, oh no! This is a this is an actual. This doesn't. This replaces an ice cream cone. It's the shape of an ice cream cone, yes. but you put your ice cream in it. Yes. You didn't realize that. I want to put my ice cream cone in the motorized cone, and then I want to eat the cone after. That's version two. Sorry, you're you're gonna have to wait for the next one. Oh man, they no. That was that was version one, and then they were like, oh man, there are so many different kinds of ice cream cones. We should just make our device no. turn, and you have to put your ice cream in it. There's two types of ice cream cones on the entire planet, and that is it. Well, you're the expert, Tom. I'm going to defer to your, I, your knowledge. I am the expert. Okay. I'm going to make one. I'm going to make one. It's going to happen. You could use the Gillette approach and, and make one, but make it fit a non-standard cone, and then make your money selling <laughs> the non-standard cones. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Moving right along to the next thing that Tom wants to buy, we have the cutting board bird feeder. And uh, this basically looks like a table. And uh, in the middle of the table, there's a bunch of holes drilled into it for where you cut your bread. And then as you're cutting the bread, the crumbs go down the holes into a tube and it shoots out into a little tray where a bird can land and eat the breadcrumbs. In your house? that's what it showed in the picture um but it also did say good luck pumping that outside um i i don't know the example they gave was very small uh, i'm assuming that um they think these breadcrumbs are just going to shoot out into a tray that's outside I, I i was when i saw it i was thinking about birds that actually like lived inside your house because it didn't seem very practical but again it is a weird invention do these people know how cheap bird seed is I don't think they know much of anything. They're inventing it's, um, weird things. So I mean, it's like 80 cents a pound for good stuff. Maybe you should send them a letter, Tom. I, I strongly worded letter. Yes, yes, absolutely. Let them know your feelings. I might send them two letters. Then we get to probably out of everything here, the most genius idea ever. The hamster shredder. <laughs> there is a paper shredder on top of a hamster cage that's hooked up to a hamster wheel and you put a paper in it, the hamster runs on the wheel and it shreds the paper, which makes their own bedding. <laughs> that's freaking brilliant. This is the most it's... awesome invention I found. You make your own bedding. Yeah. For the listeners, everything he just said is v- easily Googleable. You will find it very quickly. Oh yeah, these are all real things. These are all real. I'm not making any of this up. No, no, no. No, I understand, but I'm saying- You have to to get some pretty good-sized hamsters to run much of a shredder, though. Like, I typed in hamster shredder, spelt it wrong, (laughs) and still got it. Like, first first image. Yeah, you might get something completely different if you- Actually brilliant. Next on the line, we have the egg cuber. And this is like a little thing that looks like a funnel that's made out of plastic that then becomes a square. And it's for- You crack the egg- you put it in there and it turns the egg from round into a square. And then I'm guessing you, you boil it because you can't really take it out of there. It doesn't really say what the instructions are. But it Probably showed, microwave. It, well, maybe you can microwave it. Um, I don't know. But it showed a cut in half square egg with a square yolk because round eggs are boring. 
that's their selling point. It's probably a Japanese thing. They like making things square so that you can pack more of them on the on the shelf or in small boxes. There was a Japanese invention here. I don't remember which one it was, though. Um, uh, then we have something just for... Oh, re- real quick, real quick. Step one, place warm, peeled, hard-boiled egg into chamber, making sure base plate is flat in position. Pla- <laughs> place pressing plate on top of egg. Screw top down until egg becomes square. This is fuzzy. For best results, place square egg maker in refrigerator for two minutes. And oh, 10 minutes. Uh, remove a square. Remove square egg by pushing bottom plate up with finger. It's already hard so boiled when boiled. you put it in. Yes, that doesn't make yep. any sense. I'm. I am reading the directions on the back of the carton. This is a bad invention. I'm just going to put it out there. This is a bad invention. They, they, if you were cooking it square, that would make more sense. But squishing it after it's already cooked, eh, you're going to break the egg. I don't, I don't like that. Apparently not. No, now I'm going to, now I'm going to have to squish an egg, boil, boil an egg, and see if I can squish it into a unique shape. Look, as a card-carrying member of the Aganists, I'm, I am formally protesting. <laughs> okay, just putting that out there. Uh, now we have something that's just for you, ladies. If you didn't have enough information about your tampons, now you can buy connected tampons, which at first I thought was some kind of sausage link thing where they were all connected, but I was wrong. This is a Bluetooth tampon that streams information right to your phone so that you can have up-to-date info on everything that's going on down there. I don't know how much they cost, but I would imagine that's got to be a pricey tampon uh I, I I don't have any more words. That it's a thing that exists. I, I don't have any questions. Um, their catchphrase was for the essential data flow. I, <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Uh, oh. Then we have the intelligent umbrella. This is a smart umbrella that lets you know when it's raining. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which sounds. Utterly pointless, um, but it does other things too, like letting you know when you've accidentally wandered off without it. And the smart umbrella also shares data with other smart umbrellas uh, for cloud sourcing data to make sure that it's accurate in telling you the weather. So someone out there went, uh, these tampons are a little uncomfortable, but I was able to make an umbrella with them that uh, yes, tells that you when is- it's raining. Yeah. I think that if you take the tampon out while it's raining, it turns into the umbrella. I think that's how it works. No, I was thinking you just put it on top of the umbrella, and then it lets you know when it's raining. Okay, yeah, moving on. Um, (laughs) I found the Japanese invention. Quack muzzles for dogs. Uh, These are muzzles that look like duck bills that you can put on your dog to stop them from barking. So you have a whole herd of dogs that look like four-legged ducks. These are adorable. They make a pig one. Yeah, they make one. They, it's it's hilarious. I was I was really hoping that then when the dog did try to bark, it made quacking sounds. Um, we're back to the 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 uncomfortable thing. We have flatulence filtering underwear. Um, the picture for this particular invention was a man and a woman, both wearing underwear. The woman is facing away from the man, and you can guess where the man's face is. <laughs> no, 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 no. Do it again. Do it again. No, it really works. Are you sure you, you, are you, sure you did? Oh, man. Yeah, Subtle I can butt. smell it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
I just tried to Google it, and, and I, there's a product called Subtle Butt. That's a great, that's a great name. Uh, oh, these man. ones are called Shreddies. Odor-free wind assurance. That's uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna move on. Okay, so that was that was enough. Um, this one I found uh, very peculiar, but yet um, still still pretty interesting. Um, hairy stockings. So if you are a lady who is fed up with being ogled during the summertime, you can buy stockings that make your hair look like a man that looks like a gorilla. Well, that'll certainly keep people from looking at you, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That well, it is. Deterrent. It is. It says it is. Hairy stockings are designed to out off lustful onlookers. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Probably a misspelling of put, put off. Could could be. Yeah. They they. The typo. It's a typo. Um, an actual useful weird invention. Mold-covered sandwich bags. So if you make great sandwiches <laughs> and you go to an office where people are stealing your sandwiches all the time, you get these Ziploc baggies that have Ew. mold printed oh. onto the bag. And then when you put your sandwich in, it looks like it's moldy and no one will take it. Bad idea. Except for the person at the office that's like, I threw all the old moldy stuff out of the refrigerator yep. Yep. that had been there for there a while. There is a... There is a small chance that someone will steal your sandwich once in a while, but there is a thousand percent chance someone will see it and throw that sandwich out immediately. Well, I thought it was a good idea. I mean, if you, you know. if you do make uh, like frozen cookies or things like that that you want to put in the freezer, though, along these same lines, uh, wrapping them up in butcher paper labeled zucchini is a good way to keep the kids out of them. <laughs> For all those kids that work in your office, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> No, just passing that along to Tom. Yeah, thanks. The final uh, weird invention I found. Are your lips dry and chapped? Do you also love the taste of bacon and wish you could both smell and taste bacon all day long? Well, have we got the product for you. That's right. Bacon-flavored lip balm. I Googled it before you said it. There you go. You know, I, d- I did like a month a month hiatus on uh, not, not having sweets as kind of a reset. And it, the month ended a little while back, and today um, somebody brought donuts into the office, including Elvis donuts, which are topped with peanut butter, bacon, and bananas, and chocolate. Oh. Yeah. Also known as the cardiac arrest donut. Yeah, possibly. They're probably, uh, I mean, it's got a lot of protein. Yeah, but not today. It's like a breakfast. It's a breakfast substitute donut. <laughs> You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. So this week was a very interesting week for me. I got a number of good deals and um, some other things that I will talk about later in the podcast happened. The first thing that happened was there was this guy named Chuck. And Chuck is a member of a Facebook group that I'm a member of for Delta Rockwell Tools. And he had posted in the group that he had stuff for sale. The two things he had was a Kennedy Ottawa Camelback drill press and a benchtop Delta drill press. And he was he wanted for both of them, he wanted 250. And I had been going back and forth with him on this for probably about a week and a half because I didn't number one, I didn't want to pay that much. And number two, I did not want the camelback because I had nowhere to put it. 
and we're going back and forth and back and forth. And then something came up where I am going to go down to Maryland, have to go to Maryland. So I thought it would be on the way because he was supposed to be in Milton, Pennsylvania, which if you look at a map, is an hour and a half south of me. However, when I told him I was interested in coming, he gives me his actual address, which turns out to be an hour and a half in the opposite direction, going away from Maryland. And I'm like, mm, uh, no, this is not really working out for me. And he goes, wait a minute, you're going to Maryland? I said, yeah. He goes, I have these battleship anchor shackles that need to go to a blacksmith that's just across the border in Maryland. Do you think you could take them down there? And I'm like, uh, well, what's in it for me? He goes, oh, the blacksmith will pay you. And I'm like, okay, but I'm doing you a favor too. <laughs> and so the short version is uh, I got the, he, he had sold the Kennedy Ottawa to somebody else on eBay. He just had the Delta and he gave me the Delta after much haggling for 60 bucks. And this is by my estimation, an early 30s, like maybe mid 30s Delta, the shape of it and everything else is leading me to, to that conclusion, but I haven't been able to confirm it. It's in very, very good condition. Nothing is broken or missing. Um, it is a little rusty and the paint's coming off, but overall, very cool. And it has the, one of the coolest switches I've ever seen. It has an Art Deco plate with a, I can't even describe it. It's got a rocker switch that just the switch part by itself is like art deco it's like stepped it's it's very cool yeah i have i have those on my south bend and my bridgeport okay um they have like that yeah they're like stepped it's like stepped it looks almost like a teardrop but then like it's like stepped up yeah all curved and rounded it's this isn't a teardrop it's it's completely square. The whole thing is completely square, and then in the middle, it's like the peak of a roof, and then it goes stepped oh. down. I've never seen a switch oh, no. like this. It's it's super cool. Like I, it's, I'll, to sh I'll, I'll send you a picture later. I actually want to take it off of that drill press and keep it for myself. Like that's that's the level of cool I'm at. You know my switch problem. Um, so anyway, I went up and got the drill press from Chuck and got the shackles. We were talking, and he was showing me around, and we were talking about different things. And he's like, well, now uh, I know that you like this kind of stuff. I can find stuff for you. What are you looking for? So I told him, Joel Presses, Bandsaws, Vices. He goes, oh, I've got some vices here. And uh, I ended up walking out the door with a four-inch reed uh, with a patent date of 1908 on it. And it was in very, very good condition. The only thing that was missing was the shoulder bolt that goes up through the base into the static body that allows it to pivot around. So I need to find a shoulder bolt. He wanted a hundred bucks. I told him I could do a hundred. And then I was very quiet. And he said, well, I could do 75. And I said, okay, 75 works for me. He's got some other stuff there for me. I was like, dude, just hold this stuff here. And the next time I'm back up, I will take it. Uh, so that was, that was the first part. Then uh, we have the delivery of the shackles. So I had called up this blacksmith uh, whose name is Randy. And so I talked to this blacksmith uh, whose name on Instagram is Slaysman Forge, who is right across the border. And uh, I basically explained to him that for me to go pick up the shackles from my house, I had to go Sunday because I was going down to Maryland on Monday. So to go from 
my house to pick up the shackles back to my house and then to him was five hours total. And it was it was very much out of my way. Originally, I thought it was on the way. And so I told him, I'm like, look, I need at least 20 bucks an hour for my time and gas because it's five hours. And so it was 100 bucks to deliver the shackles. And he was like, okay, yeah, I'll do it. So uh, I delivered the shackles and got 100 bucks, got a tour of his place. Super cool dude. We hung out for like maybe 30 minutes talking. I was looking at all his stuff. And then I was on my way to Maryland. Some stuff happened to Maryland, which I will talk about later, uh, which involved uh, old-timey tools. And then after the fact, I went to Juan's house to rummage through all his junk. And while I was there, uh, Juan and I, basically Juan just like, just find stuff you want and put it in a pile. <laughs> that, is, that is how it went. I should preface this by saying Juan and I trade stuff back and forth all the time. So I did pay him for things because I didn't bring him anything to trade. But all the money I gave him was basically his cost. He just gave me stuff at cost because he's got too much stuff and he wants me to have it. That's basically how it went. So um, I picked up um, a little uh, three-inch Prentice vise, uh, a Morgan undermount vise, um, a really nice, almost new condition, six-inch Starrett rule, just one of those little steel rulers. He gave me a bunch of these little things. I can't remember the name, but they're little. They're sanding cones. Mm -hmm. They're like it's like a little finger that you put. He said put it on the end of a drill press or, or, or a drill bit, and then you just spin the drill bit, and then it'll it'll you can get it to little tiny corners, and it sands. It's just like a little cone that you can get into little crevices with. So I'm like, oh, that's cool. I love those. I also he had been saving me a Craftsman auto scroller that had the lock on the knob which I think is like 1950s. All the, all the auto scrollers I have, the lock to release the blade is actually on the body. It's not on the knob. So that's another one that's going into the collection. He had also saved me a mint green Rockwell uh, jigsaw, which matches the mint green Rockwell uh, hedge trimmer that I got from Matt's neighbor. So now I'm, I'm collect I have a mint green Rockwell collection. <laughs> there was um, a... I didn't measure it, but I'm going to say it's like a two-inch three-jaw chuck for like a miniature lathe, like a jeweler's lathe. Um, I got that. I asked him if he had any old Craftsman metric wrenches because that's one of the things that's missing out of my set. And he had, this is, this is I, I didn't know this. He had a set of metric Williams and he's like, here, you can have these. They're snap-ons. And I'm like, Williams is snap-on? He goes, yeah, Williams is snap-on. I, I didn't know. Did you guys know that? I hadn't heard that. No. I have a bunch of Williams stuff, and I didn't realize it was Snap-on, but apparently that's a Snap-on company. Then he sold me a really nice, uh, I don't know if it's 40s or 50s, but it's a Craftsman 4-inch vise. Uh, he had two of those um, hand wheels that you would put like uh, to raise and lower like a uh, on like a unisaw that you would raise and lower the blade. Uh, one was plastic and one was, I think, aluminum. And I took those because I have, you know, a wheel addiction. Then the last thing was I said he has, Juan has probably about 5,000 hand planes. He's got a huge amount. And I'm like, dude, what's the weirdest hand plane here? I don't want all this normal stuff. Give me one that no one's ever seen before. And he gave me this one that had stamped on it. It said Jordan. He thought it was German. And the blade iron has notches in it, 
and there is a like a wheel adjuster to raise and lower the blade iron through these like uh it's it's almost like threads like the iron has threads mm. cut it it's super weird never seen one like that before and i'm like oh dude this has gone right into the collection no one will ever touch this but me uh, and then on top of that the front knob of the hand plane most of them basically look like a golf ball and then it has like a little peg under it they're round uh this one was an oval like an egg it, it i've again never seen anything like it so i took that uh that was all the stuff i got from juan for everything that was there uh the tally was 145 uh which again that was his cost so if you plan on contacting one you ain't getting my deal okay i'm just letting you know you're not getting <laughs> the bargain that i got but uh from there i left Wands, and i drove out to meet this guy named ted now this if you find this hard to believe this was the coolest thing i picked up out of all the things i've mentioned this guy had uh, for $10 listed on Marketplace. I didn't even haggle him. He had a three-wheeled Craftsman locomotive belt sander, which up until that point, I did not know existed. And I get there, he had really bad pictures of it too. It was like mostly in shadow, couldn't really make out too much, but I could tell what it was. So I get there and I look at it. He brings it to me. The front round knob and the long handle for it are both inlaid with Junk Hunter blue plastic. <laughs> and the logo for the Craftsman is the Long C logo. So if you know anything about Craftsman logos, Craftsman started in the 1920s and it started out with a wavy logo. And then when it moved into the 30s, they moved into the Long C. And the C extends all the way down the Craftsman name. And I think that goes up into the 40s. So this, this sander, which I have no information on, either it was 30s or 40s. I don't know. He said that it works, but it has a weird belt size because it is a three-wheeled sander. If you take off, there is a spring-loaded plate to get into it to change the belt. And the wheels make a triangle shape and the motor is in the middle of where the belt turns. I've hmm. never seen a design like this before. It is the, totally like a unicorn. And I was like, dude, this is like the coolest thing I've ever seen. The cord on it, no joke. It's got like a 20-foot cord at very little cracking. Like it is it is massively long. And um, that was like the best thing I got uh, out of the whole week was that sander. That's cool. I had a sander, a benchtop sander, like disc and belt sander that was Craftsman from way back, mm -hmm. way, way back. And it was Junk Hunter Blue, the whole thing, like original paint. Because I stripped it. I've seen that. I have seen the, the Junk Hunter Blue Craftsman stuff painted blue. Yeah. But I've never seen it in plastic. Yeah. This was the first time. Like all of the Craftsman stuff I've seen with plastic, it's always been black. So I'm guessing that originally they started with blue and then they switched to black and then they, it was black from that point on and never ever went back. Yeah. That's cool though. Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in. Maybe we'll read it on air. All right. It's time for personal history with inventing. Tom, did, have you have you invented anything? Uh, nothing that I can talk about. So, Tanda, what did you... No, I'll go. Uh, <laughs> I, I have always 
had the mentality of thinking up new ideas. I think that most of that came from my father, who was, um, he, he was a little bit of a dreamer. That's not a negative thing. Um, so he was always kind of thinking in those realms, and he just kind of passed that along to me. And I think I mentioned this before, but one of my earliest inventions was like a sponge on a stick so you could wash your back. And then, like, I watched Sesame Street and Ernie was using one. And so that didn't work out too well. Um, but one of, one of, I'm always taking things and thinking of like improvements for them. And I'm going to give you one for free. Are you ready for this? I'm not ready. The Pringles can. Oh, all right. Let me know when you're I'm ready. Not ready. I'm going to sip a. I'm going to take a sip of water real quick. You ready now? I'm still not ready. You don't, you don't have to get ready because Tom's already already told us this invention. So This is only a three-hour podcast. Yeah, he has. I've already told you this? Yeah, Stop it. Yeah, you told yeah. us the Pringle thing. <laughs> when? On here? Yes. The same episode that was with the George Washington Carver speech. Yeah, that, that Listen, was. this is not my fault that I can't remember anything. <laughs> I'm the one with the bad memory here, man. How can I remember the things you've said? Dang. I didn't mean to spoil it. Feel All free right. to carry on. No, I'm not going to tell it now. And anybody that's listening to this and didn't listen to that episode, you're totally <laughs> It's a great idea. Well, now you have to give you something else, don't I? No, I've always thought of like new things. Um, and not all, not all of them, you know, should become products. That That's not the idea. It's just like, it's problem solving is really what it is. It's you have a small problem and this thing would fix that problem. But sometimes the problem is just not worth fixing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to live with it. I mean, some of Tom's uh, weird inventions fell in that category. I mean, yeah, they're, totally. they're they're unique and they can be patented because no one's ever done it before, but there may be good reason no one's ever done it before. Doesn't, yeah, it doesn't mean it's a good idea. It doesn't mean it's a good product. But if they do, you can sue them. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, Tanda, do you have something that can beat Tom's... Uh, Pringle thing. Tom's Pringle thing. I don't. Yeah. Uh, so my my history with inventing probably goes back to my father being very inventive and and you know just using what we had about to solve problems and probably really set me on the course of going into engineering or being fascinated by going off if I were to go off to college and and do something, doing something related to inventing, engineering, some kind of creation. Because people were forever telling my dad, oh, you should patent that. I mean, and, and most makers probably hear that right? just from, from people all the time because you come up with a way to solve a problem and you just solve it and you move on. And people are like, oh man, you should patent that not realizing the worth of this thing you created versus what it would take to patent it um, and whether or not it would, you know, would ever be a net gain. But I remember one moment in particular where um, I just remember thinking my dad was like a superstar and I used to go to work with my dad and we were in the shop where he worked, um, I mean, he worked out in the field, but it was like a rainy, muddy day. And so everyone was in the shop and he was inventing a device. Um, I mean, it's kind of particular to the oil field, but he was inventing this device that would, uh, blow down a well that had become waterlogged 
using a pressure differential. And this was always done with some kind of timer system in the past. It just blindly tried at certain times or you checked on it and then you set the times to try to time it where it, it did this necessary activity at a peri- on a periodic basis. And he was using um, just stuff that was around the shop and building this device that was based on a pressure differential that would just do it as needed instead of on a timer. And I just remember person after person after person coming up and being like, what are you making? What does it do? How did you come up with that? Oh, you should patent that. And, you know, as a little kid, it was just like, man, my dad is a superstar. Everybody is like amazed at what he's doing. And that I think kind of set the wheels turning to, you know, be an engineer or go off and invent things or, or make things because it was just like, that's the coolest ever. You know, everybody is, is really jazzed about this concept. Then certainly I've always, um, you know, kind of growing up around that, I've always been really interested in inventing and had lots of ideas. And then when I was in college, I started um, following someone who uh, wrote a lot of columns, wrote a lot of literature to do with electronics and hacking and stuff. His name was Don Lancaster. And he had an ongoing column in a couple different electronics magazines. He would offer a book, a signed book or some other swag for inventions. So he would be like, this is a new part from Synetics or a new part from some electronics vendor. What would you make with it? And he would send you out data sheets and you could get samples from the companies. And then if you made something that he deemed was like the coolest invention that month or that you know cycle of the magazine, then you'd get an autographed book and some other stuff from him. And I got a couple of his books um, doing that. And his book was all about, it's called Your Own Secret Money Machine. And it's about making things for money and inventing things. And he was firmly against patents. He was like, hmm. this is just, you know, this is silly. Um, some big guy can, can knock you off, just make it and race people to market. And if it's a good idea, it's a good idea. And, you know, take your chances and then invent something else. But don't, you know, don't spend a lot of time and effort um, chasing patenting your ideas. And from that point on, I was like, yeah, that, that kind of made sense to me. And so I kind of didn't pursue that until years later. Uh, no, it's good advice. I mean, people that can, people that are capable of coming up with ideas like that, um, they don't, I don't, I feel like they worry less about the patent thing than people that have one good idea. I think you've talked about this with me before, Tanda. You know that guy. The guy that's had only has only had one good idea his entire life is is so is clinging so hard to that one idea, uh, live or die by it. Where you know you or I are just like, well, just just think of something else. Give me a minute. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, most people in our community probably have more ideas right. than time. Well, there was the guy from last week with a Dr. Cooper. I think it was he had like four hundred and sixty patents. Like right. that that guy was just like a fountain of stuff. Like it just like it just kept coming out of him. Yeah, I mean, and sometimes those are tiny tweaks on a core concept, and then there's a company behind it, like Dow or somebody, that's just pumping patents out to protect the company. 
right. and it has to have a name on it. I mean, I added a patent a week, or now it's about every eight or 10 days. And most of them originate from the same company, and they are just minor variations on a theme, patent after patent, and somebody's name's on those. And so, you know, it, it may or may not be, you know, an indicator of enormous genius, even though I'm sure that, you know, he had a lot of really great ideas. I mean, he invented superglue. I mean, come on. He yeah. had to have at least one other good idea in that 459 other Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure they were. But sometimes there's like this patent-generating machine behind that. And it's not just a person coming up with like a huge number of ideas. They're just the lead scientist that's doing all of the patenting. But then you flash forward a number of years later, and uh, I had one of those things that people were like, oh, you should patent that, you should sell those, you should protect yourself and do it. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to go try. It'd be cool to kind of have a patent. And this was like a unique timer device. And so I go to, I go find a phone book or whatever. I find a number of patent attorneys. I find one that seems to be, you know, local and, and it has a good reputation. It's got a lot of good reviews. And I go and I sit down with him. And I I chat with him for maybe 10 or 15 minutes, just, you know, about whatever. And then he says, okay, well, let's talk about your invention. And he literally turns around and gets like a chess timer off of the shelf behind him, sets it on the desk in front of him and goes and clicks the button on the top. And it's like, and he's like, so tell me about your invention. And so I'm like, oh, how do I say this in a nutshell? All the small talk's over. And so like I give him the, all of the specifics of my invention. Takes maybe, you know, 15, 20 minutes, whatever. Checkmate. I tell him everything, everything I think that he needs. And, yeah. and he hits the button and he goes, uh, yeah, and I'm not sure that's really in my field. You should probably uh, um, talk to someone who's more aligned with the electronic stuff and charge me like 400 bucks. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and that kind of turned me away from uh, from seeking patents again oh. because that was, you know, huge sums of money to me at the time. It might have been cheap for, you know, for someone seeking uh, attorney's advice, but and that uh, you know, that kind of that kind of turned me away. And I've since helped a lot of people that ended up patenting their device. I did their design and prototype stuff for them. And personally, I'd rather live there. I'm, I'm okay with just, you know, doing the design and prototype. And if they want to do all the paper shuffling and, and maybe someday sue someone for, you know, infringing on their invention or try to sell it off to some big company. Yeah, that's, that's good, but it doesn't, that, doing that doesn't turn me on. I'd rather go make the next thing. There's been a few deals on like Shark Tank, which I enjoy watching, um, where they're like, this isn't your only idea. And he's like, no, they're like, and then they give them a deal where they buy the idea, but they really buy the company. And they're like, you can now just do that. You can just create things and we'll do all the other stuff. Like that's, that's the dream. I'm not saying that deal was necessarily good, but I'm saying that's the idea of my dream. Right. And it's kind of like, it's just to sit there and create. It's like my work now. I mean, where I'm just like solving, solving problems and making things that didn't exist yesterday Yeah. on a daily basis. And I get paid well to do it. And that's, that's nice. Mm -hmm. And I don't care if somebody gets a patent or gets rights to it or, or whatever. I mean, I have a couple companies where I've made some kind of deal where part of the design and prototype was some ownership in the company. So maybe they'll mm -hmm. sell it off to somebody someday and I'll get a big payoff, but yeah, much rather, I would much rather, uh, 
get my hands dirty and make stuff than to shuffle papers in hopes of making money off of somebody else making a million of them someday. Every time someone says you should patent that, the, fir- the th- what I hear is go spend ten thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, right. That, that's exactly what I hear every time. Yeah, and and this particular company that I have a part ownership in, they've spent, they got the international patents on it, and you know their goal is to to have some buyout at the end, and they have spent probably ten x that. They've probably spent well over a hundred thousand just securing their idea. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, for that kind of money, you could have just put another, you know, 20,000, 30,000 of your product on the shelf and just been selling them into the market. And that would be the best way to advertise that you're, you know, that you have a product worth someone buying you out. But the people that have made offers to buy them out are like, well, how many of these have you sold? What's the market for them? And they're like, oh, well, we have 7,000 of them on the shelf. We've sold 400 in the last four years or whatever. So it's, I guess it's just right. kind of your, your approach and what you'd rather be doing. So PJ, what's your history with inventing? So going back to the, the early years of Junk Hunter Prime, <clears throat> I do remember when I was very, I don't know what age I was. I remember getting up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and my father was out in the living room on the couch with a pad, a giant pad, like the kind he gave my brother and I. And he was sitting there, like, with one light on, drawing. And I sat down next to him, and I said, what are you doing? And he was drawing what looked to me like a tunnel that had a bunch of electronics on it. And there was, like, a road with a car. And he said, I'm inventing a tunnel that cars drive through to remove pollution out of the atmosphere. And that was, like, the first time I'd I'd heard of... Like the first contact I'd had with inventing something that didn't exist. And my immediate thought was, how does it pull the pollution out of the air that's already there? Because the cars are only going through a little small section. So how does it get more air in there? And I didn't sit there and have a long conversation with them because I was probably like seven, you know, something like that. (laughs) But the fact that he was drawing it all out and he, he said he was doing it because he couldn't sleep. That's why he was out there in the middle of the night. He just couldn't sleep, so he was drawing. That kind of put the bug in my head early that you could make things that weren't there. So that was that was the first sort of inclination that I had. I've thought of many things that I've never made that then later became inventions. Uh, one of them I just saw the other day. There's a it is a socket um, that has a bunch of steel pins in it, and you can put it on any socket wrench and just put it over any hex nut and it will conform to that size and then you can remove it and i thought of this no joke when i was 13 mm-hmm. and i didn't know anything about tools that was my like i didn't i was trying to figure out how i could make it at 13 and I, of course i didn't have the facilities or anything to do but i had that idea i've come up with a number of inventions over the years i actually had a book of inventions for quite some time and then i just kind of stopped writing in them because i didn't have the means to make them and it was starting to be a little frustrating. And I have, um, I've invented a few things physically that I, I think I talked about on the podcast. Um, I'll very briefly just say that I invented and I did a YouTube video on something called the Ready Measure System, which is basically just a tape measure that is strapped to your wrist so that it is always at your fingertips. And you can uh, pull it out from your wrist like Spider-Man shooting a web, measure whatever it is you need, mark it off, and then let go. And then it just zips back 
to your wrist, and it's a small, like a nine, ten foot tape measure. Tom, Tom, sidebar. Yeah, yep, hey, I'm here. Hey, you know, you know this this tape measure that PJ's talking about? He he's talked yeah. about it on the podcast before, and so if you want to like talk about your Pringles can, I think you should, you know, have full I've... full uh, access to being able to talk about your Pringles can. Oh, good. I feel. Thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. I just, I feel so much better. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, he, you know, his memory's not so good. So he probably doesn't even remember yeah. that he's, he's talked about this before. I, th- I think you're right. I think I'm, I'm going to. Yeah. But oddly, he remembers what you've talked about before. Right. Right. I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. You're right. Okay. He, oh, he, so, yeah. he's coming back. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, PJ. What? But, um, so as I was saying, I don't remember which episode. Oh, I, PJ, I, PJ, real quick. I, I, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt, but I just wanted to tell you about my Pringles idea. So halfway down the can, you put a little rip tab on it, like on a top of a milk jug, and you can rip it off and then take that top half off and put the lid on the bottom half. And that's my Pringles can idea. But go ahead. Whatever you were talking about, that's great. You, you probably mentioned that in the same episode that I talked about the ready measure system. So uh, things that I haven't talked about, which um, which I'm sure somebody could easily make, but I will never make. I, I had this great invention idea for baby shoes. And the problem with baby shoes is that babies grow quickly. So you have to run through their shoes quickly as their feet get bigger. And I thought of this idea where you had plastic inserts that you could put into the shoe and the sole of the shoe, like the rubber part, the tread, is segmented. So you start out at one size, like let's just say size A for whatever infant size foot is. And you have a you have a plastic shim that goes in between the rubber part and where the baby's foot goes, there's like material. And then what you do is you fold the tongue up and then you lace it. And then that's the shoe size. And then as the baby's foot gets bigger, you fold the tongue down and put a different shim in. And then the tongue gets shorter but the foot tread gets longer. So now you have a different size shoe for the, because babies don't really need shoes to walk on. They just need something to cover their feet. And this is probably only good for, let's say four shoe sizes. And then you go to like the next size up of baby tread shoes, and that'll cover another four sizes. So that way you're not paying like, I think I saw somewhere like baby shoes are like 60 to $80 a pop. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. That's like, that's like an adult shoe. And I'm like, this thing would save you so much money, even if it cost you like, let's say $100, it would last you four sizes. So that that's like, and I like, I'll never ever make that because I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to, I don't have sneaker technology, you know, it's not like I could 3D print it, right? <laughs> or, or maybe you can. Well, you could, you could you now, could. but probably yeah. not when you yeah. thought of it. Uh, well, yeah, I thought of that probably 20 years ago. You know, right. and so that's been rolling around. So that's like a thing that I invented that that in my mind I invented, but I didn't actually physically make it. But I've got lots of ideas like that. Um, there was another idea that I had that I found out someone invented already, apparently many, many years ago. Everybody has had the experience where you turn on the hot water and you have to wait for it to get hot because it's got to come up from the boiler, you know, however many feet of pipe that is. And I came up with this idea of having a small electric water heater in the bathroom that is always hot and when you it has just enough water so that when you turn it on you have instant hot water and it it gives you enough hot water on, and as that's running it's dumping all the cold water out of the hot water line until the hot water reaches you from the boiler and then it switches over 
I found out that sort of this exact same thing was invented like back in the 50s, I think it was. Like it was a long time ago. But I didn't know that. I had mm -hmm. no idea. And I've never right. seen one before, but apparently it already exists. So yeah, there's there's things, ideas I've come up with that people have already made that I didn't know they made. I, I've, I've got a uh, something that I thought of as you were talking about about your ready major system. And this is um, not really specific to that, but just the fact that you had a name. Almost anyone who I've worked with who came to me who didn't quite have the idea of how they were going to make the thing yet or, you know, how, how that would work, but they already had a really clever name for it and a marketing scheme in place. <laughs> Every one of those was a horrible idea. I, I mean, two or one. So, you know, that's my metric. If someone comes in with kind of a, a kind of idea that they would like me to finish off for them and make them prototypes, but they already have like a full marketing scheme and they've trademarked it and they have a really clever yeah. pun name for it, it. I should probably just steer clear because none of those have ever worked out. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, shaky darn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial interludes and stuff. Hi, y'all. This is Edna down at Johnson's Hardware. Are you an inventor who's butting your head against physics? Well, we have just the thing, Johnson's Fizzy Free. It's a simple spray that comes in a 17-ounce bottle, and it will eliminate physics. That's right. Gravity got you down? Is friction heating you up? Then all you need is a little Fizzy Free from Johnson's Hardware. Spray it on, and gravity goes away. No more friction to build up when your product isn't working because it's sticking. It's a matter-changing spray that you can only get at Johnson's Hardware. It's our own proprietary brand. Johnson's is not responsible for time dilation or wormholes created by Fizzy Free. And for a limited time, Fizzy Free bottles come two packs for the low, low price of $27.72. You'll find us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills. What the heck, Nabbit? I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right, it's time for crossbreeding. Tanda, what skill goes well with inventing? Um, I think the skill that goes best with inventing is uh, is dreaming, is being able to just think of something and and try it, or kind of a, a lack of a lack of barriers. I think if you want to be inventive, you have to try the crazy things um, and just see if you can do them. And then sometimes that gets you to the solution or it gets you to a completely different device or a completely different approach. And, you know, don't, don't let analysis paralysis sink in. If you have an idea that you want to try to find a solution for, just dive in and try some crazy stuff first and that'll get your mind going. That's got to be the most ambiguous skill set you've ever brought up on this podcast, but we're running late. So I'm just going to go right to Tom. Tom, what skill goes well with inventing? It's basically the same creative thinking, the ability to just think outside the box and constantly have that mindset while you go through life. I, I while, while you guys were talking and I wasn't paying attention, I looked up some of my invention lists and I almost forgot about this one. Frozen pancake batter, because nobody wants to wake up early and make pancake batter. It's too much work. But if you had frozen pancake batter that you could just throw directly in the griddle. And I haven't tested this, but I already have some ideas for how to test this. But I wanted to just put it in ice cube trays, but I think they're going to be too thick. 
I also thought of making like thinner pucks, like in the shape of a pancake. And then I also thought of like making shredded potato pancake batter where it looks like shredded potatoes. And then you just like take a handful and throw it in the pan and it all melts together. I think that one will work. So like Dippin' Dots made of pancake batter? Yes! I Flash, was gonna flash say frozen dots, uh, <laughs> pancake batter? Yes! You just take a scoop, throw it in the pan, and you have fresh pancakes. Because frozen pancakes suck. I'll agree with you there, Tom. I'll you want another idea? No, no. I don't want any more ideas. <laughs> no. We're running late. All right. Fair, so, fair enough. So my answer is drawing. Drawing goes well. It's a good right. skill for inventing. You need to be able to visualize your things on paper for other people to see. So, nice and simple. Totally. Totally. Rant requests. All right, guys. It's time for rant requests. Uh, put the word out, but we didn't really get as many responses as we normally do. Uh, Tanda, do you want to hit us with the first one? So, the first one is uh, buying tools at sales. How much money should you bring? And who did that come from, Tanda? Uh, who knows? Who knows? I, oh, Jacob. I mean, it's a simple question. Who, who wrote the comment? I, who knows? God, that's, I depend on you guys for very little. I swear, let's try. What was the question it's, again? It's Jake. It's Jacob knows. His last name is Knows. It's Jacob. He's my buddy. How, how much money should you take? How much money should you bring with you when you're buying tools at sales? All of the money. Yes, all of the money. All the money. You don't want to limit. You don't want to limit yourself. Nope. Or set a budget. Listen, you can always leave with money that you haven't spent. But if you show up with not enough money, you're almost guaranteed to leave with stuff that you could have gotten. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that's been every single place I've gone to. If if you don't have enough money, I, I, I started bulking cash to make sure that when I went to an auction or any place else, I had way more than I thought I was ever going to need. And then I didn't think about the amount of money that I had. All I focused on was the deals. Like when I went to the Carlisle swap meet with Old Timey Tools, um, I think I brought like $600 with me. And I didn't realize how much I'd spent until I left because I didn't focus on how much money I was spending. I only focused on what was in front of me and whether or not it was a deal because I have the, the, you know, the eye for finding deals. And I knew I was going to make money. And I have. I've sold a lot of that stuff. So that's the answer. You always bring the maximum. That seems reasonable, unless you get back with a lot of stuff and then uh, realize you you can't pay your mortgage. Well, I mean, you know, you could always move. Or just quickly sell all of the stuff. Yeah, quickly sell everything. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. I got to sell all this by tomorrow. That, too. That, too. Uh, Tom, you want to hit us with the second one? Yeah. uh, Dave SSS struggles with hoarding and, more importantly, Strategies for de-hoarding. That's a good question. Yeah. De-hortification. I, I've got plenty to say, but do you the one or you want to take it? I, I do. I do. So I, I my hoard is is uh, has a lot of turnover, right? So the things that I do keep, they're not always here for very long. So like I have a lot of stuff, but it never gets out of hand. And I purge often. Like I purge hard sometimes. I'll throw out. And and the hoard represents projects, future projects for me. It's like, you know, this metal thing that's going to be a table or this, these wheels that are going to be useful for some cart someday. And I keep that stuff for a certain amount of time, but 
every so often I just have to get rid of stuff because it represents a to-do list that I'm never going to do. So if I can just throw out like 10, 12 projects, it really it really is de-hoarding de my brain. All right, brain de-hoard. That's that's um... Yeah. Totally. Mm -hmm. That's a thing. Tanda, did you want to I just invented it. Did you want to jump on that 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 latest invention? Um I think I very similar to Tom in that I tend to collect up things when I see them they are a future project. They are something I could use someday that you know this one is going to be a real cheap version of something I would have to pay a lot for if I if I bought a new one when I get to that project. And and in very much the same sense at some point I just get uh tired of the mess and I kind of go through and go I'm I'm probably never going to get around to making that. I'm just going to yep. haul it off to the scrapyard. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to give it to somebody else. I'm going to get rid of it and make room. So very similar. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go in a bit of a different direction, slightly philosophical, because I answered this question um, on Clubhouse the other day. Typically, if you're hoarding things, and I do mean hoarding and not collecting, you're trying to fill some sort of inner problem. You have something that you've not looked at on the inside, and you're trying to fill that with external things. You're externalizing your inner problem. And here is my example personally. Um, I've mentioned many times on this podcast I have a terrible memory. The things that I collect, the amount of stuff that I have, falls into two categories. The first is things that cause me to remember things. So I have physical objects that, when I see them, they spark a memory. And because I have a poor memory, without those things, I completely forget that memory altogether. So that is the first reason that I have the majority of the things that I have. The second reason is I collect things that I sell. And they're not staying here. They are here for a temporary amount of time, and then they go on their way. So I understand full well why, for me, if someone looking from the outside looking in thinks I'm a hoarder, I am not hoarding anything. I have specific uses. To me, hoarding is when you're just collecting things and you don't understand why. You just are amassing things and they just exist. Uh, that, is the, that is the symptom of the inner problem. And if you are one of those people, you need to do some inner work. Uh, you could say it's spiritual work, emotional work, uh, inner child work, however you would like to phrase it. Uh, you need to find out what in your life has that lack. There's something in there that is not being attended to, and you're externalizing that with physical items. And that's all I got to say about that. No, I think that's, I think it's a really good summary. And it kind of falls, I mean, I, I mean, in some ways fall into that category of uh, where I'm at now versus where I want to be. And so I collect things that are representative of where I'd like to get to, kind of where I dream of what I would like to be doing or who I would like to be. And if you don't get there or you aren't getting there fast, then things start to accumulate faster than you can make use of them. There is a ramp up. Um, that's a good point, Tanda. There is there is a point where it, it starts slow and then it becomes increasingly more and more pressure. Um, so that that is, I don't want what I said to be taken as an extreme. Uh, it is a slow process that builds right. um, over time. And uh, you can see, if you look at uh, people like Jimmy DeResta that go and visit these people that have like acreage full of stuff that they've acquired, 
you could tell that they didn't start out that way. Like that's decades of stuff that in many ways represents uh, things that they never got to accomplish. You know, right. they, they bought like uh, all these things hoping to do something with them one day and they never did. Yeah. So I think I think Tom and I's strategy of if that starts stressing you because you're looking at it and thinking I'm not going to accomplish all of these things, then uh, then a good old fashioned purge of a bunch of it uh, does wonders for not only your space, but your mental attitude. Mm -hmm. And technically, uh, my selling things is a continual purge. Like I am constantly bringing things in and constantly putting things out. So it is a rotating cycle. So that's what you should be doing. All right, it's time for short and sweet. Tom, you got anything to wrap up the show? Well, I was just going to talk about pancakes, so no, I'm all set. No, no more pancakes, please. Just, uh, just let's, let's let's go to waffles or something else. But Tanda, Tanda, it's short and sweet. You, you got anything to wrap the show? I don't know if you uh, if you can still find them copies of them probably on on the internet you can but this book by don lancaster called your own secret money machine and i think there was an, another edition of it is a good book if you're an inventor or you're a maker looking to make some money on your side hustle or gradually turn it into a business it has some interesting interesting advice that you can take or leave but it's a good it's a good read and and back in the day it was a lot of fun to uh, participate in these contests where you were just given a part and had to invent something around it Sage advice for anyone that has um, these ideas that they, you know, they want to they want to make real. So look into it. Uh, as for me, we're about to go into our last segment and um, I'm going to talk about it then. But I'm going to highly recommend that if anybody thinks that they should drive 400 miles in one day, changing from one hot temperature to a hotter temperature, which is 20 degrees hotter, and they don't put any sunscreen on and their arm gets sunburned while they're driving... I highly recommend you don't do that. Just uh, just putting it out there. If you're going to be driving long distance, uh, put on some sunscreen. Just, um, just, you know, some sage wisdom from the junk hunter. Well, it seems like good advice. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram. And you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. It's time to sell a story. Let me tell you one. All right. This is this is one for the books. So you recall I talked last week about the large number of circular saws that I had for sale, and I got a bunch of responses when I posted it. The first guy didn't work out. The second guy that contacted me was this guy on Facebook Marketplace named Gooselar. And uh, his name sounds exactly like it's spelled. Goose, L-A-A-R. Gooselar. He's a very happy-looking um, African man with two small girls in his picture. And uh, I looked at a lot of his friends. It looked like uh, he was from Cameroon. 
and he was living in Washington, D.C. He reached out to me about the saws and about 10 other things that I had for sale. And he's like, I want everything. This, this is like his words. I want everything you're selling. I'm like, oh, okay. So we are talking back and forth. And I'm like, why don't you come up here and get everything? And at first, he's talking about renting a van or a U-Haul or something to come up there. And then he starts like him and Han about whether or not he's, he's going to be able to. First, he wanted to come up on Saturday. And the way he was talking about it, he was going to have somebody drive him up here so that he could rent a van here and then drive it back down to where he lived. And I said, uh, man, I don't think you're going to be able to do that on a Saturday. Most rental places are not open on Saturdays. You know, like you just have to drop something off if it's a Saturday and then they find it on Monday. He was trying to work out some way to do that. And he said he was going to come up with a bunch of guys and help them load everything. And uh, then he was like going back and forth. Oh, I can't do that. Well, can you bring the stuff down to me? And I said, where are you? He goes, I'm, I'm in Baltimore. And I said, okay, um, where in Baltimore? He gives me an address and I Google map it and it's a warehouse. And the first thing I'm thinking when I see this is like, okay, this is like the setup where in every movie, somebody goes to a warehouse for a meeting and they get whacked, <laughs> right? I don't know this guy. He wants me to show up with all my tools to an industrial area. And like, and, and he's already told me he's got a bunch of guys, I'm going to get jumped, right? Like, that's exactly what I'm thinking because he keeps switching his story. Like, nothing is consistent. And so immediately I'm like, all right, I got to call up my friend, okay? And so I call up one and I said, dude, do you know this area where this warehouse is? And he goes, that's about 40 minutes from where I live, but yeah, I know it. And I said, okay, is that a bad area? He said, no, that's not a bad area. He said, what's going on? So I'm like, I've got this African guy. He wants to buy all this stuff and ship it to Africa. He's shipping tools to Africa. That's what he says. And I'm like, it sounds legit, but he's really sketchy. Like he keeps changing what he's saying. And Juan's like, ah, oh, no, man, they, the Africans do that all the time. They, they get stuff and they ship it over. He goes, it happens all the time. He goes, I've dealt with plenty of them. It's not a big deal. And I'm like, I understand that. I've had plenty of Latin people up here do the same thing, sending stuff to the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico and things like that. I said, but this is the first time some guys asked me to meet him at a warehouse, okay? I'm a little apprehensive. And Juan's like, dude, tell him he's got to send you money to travel for like gas before you're going to come down there and see if he'll send you the money. And I'm like, okay. So I do that. I'm like, dude, if you want me to come down, you got to send me a hundred bucks for gas and time. And so he sends me through Zelle money from his business account. So it's got his business name in the transaction. I'm like, okay, I feel slightly more comfortable. He trusted me enough to send a hundred bucks and it's got a business name. Uh, I go down there on Monday, which was yesterday. And this was the trip where I stopped for the blacksmith along the way. So I drove two hours to the blacksmith. And then when I was leaving the blacksmith, I sent Juan a message and I sent Gooselar a message telling them I was 53 minutes away. I would be there in 53 minutes. This was very clear as it was a text message and not over a phone. I get there to this, to this industrial complex with a bunch of warehouses and Juan gets there like a minute after I get there. So the two of us drive up to this number, this warehouse number, 
and we're looking and what we see is a place that is selling wholesale mattresses and some place that does, I think it was wedding supplies. And we're both like in our cars looking and I pull up and then Juan pulls up next to me and I'm like, do you think we're in the right place? Because I don't see where this guy is supposed to be. And he's like, I don't know. I'm going to park over here. I'm like, all right. So I park. We both get out. We're waiting. And I call the guy. And I'm like, okay, we're here. Uh, I don't know if we're in the right place. Where are you? He goes, oh, don't worry. Don't worry. I'm on my way. I'm on my way. He's not there. Okay. So I'm, I'm guessing maybe he went for lunch or something. But again, he knew what time I was arriving because I told him. And this was, by the way, that text message was like the third time I'd sent him a message that morning. So we were in constant contact. Hmm. And by the way, I should mention that Guslar likes to remind everybody he is a very um, Christian man. The Lord is good. Everything is blessed. This is like the conversation. Like as I, I've talked to him on the phone, and this is like how he talks to me. He even called me his beloved one time, which made me feel a little weird, to be honest. So anyway... Juan and I are waiting. We're there for 20 minutes waiting in the sun. And I call him up again. And I'm like, uh, are you coming? He goes, oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm almost done with my coffee. I'll be right there. And then he hangs up on me. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I think this just told me he was drinking his coffee. And Juan's like, are you serious? I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's what he said. I mean, the accent was pretty thick, but I thought I heard coffee. And we're waiting. He shows up like five minutes later in a U-Haul rental van, and then drives up to us, and it turns out that it was not his warehouse, <laughs> okay? He did not have his business there. We were nearby where his storage unit was, and so that's why he wanted to meet here in the parking lot. And my first thought is, if that's the reason we're meeting here, why didn't you just tell us to meet at your storage unit? Why did you rent a U-Haul van and waste your money. We could have just unloaded this into the storage unit. I thought this was your business. You know, I didn't say that to him, but you know, that's what I'm thinking. Oh, and I should also point out, he showed up alone. He did not show up with a bunch of guys. It was just him. Okay. It was me, Juan, and Guzlar. Well, Juan starts talking to him in Spanish and turns out that he's not from Cameroon. He's from uh, New Guinea, where they speak fluent Spanish. And after like a few back and forths, um, Juan is like, his name's Pedro. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> he goes, yeah, his name's Pedro. And I said, why didn't you tell me your name was Pedro? Oh, yes, yes. Guslar is what I use on the internet. I use the Guslar on the internet. My name is Pedro. Yes, my name is Pedro. And so I'm looking at Juan and I said, Juan, um, wasn't the boss in Breaking Bad Don Pedro? And, you know, like, and we didn't say it, but that's the head of the cartel in Mexico, right? And Juan looks at me, smiles and goes, yeah, yeah, he was the big boss, Don Pedro. And so immediately he starts going, yes, yes, I am the boss. I am the boss. I'm Don Pedro. <laughs> and so, so we just kept calling him Don Pedro for the next hour and a half, because that's how long this took. Okay. What should have been a 15 minute exchange took an hour and a half. So... I had all this stuff. I have 133 tools in the back of my truck, okay? And I had a list that I'd written out where I had counted all the tools. So I show him the list and he's like trying to figure out like um, what's in there. And he's like, okay, okay, 
let's unload the tools. And I said, uh, let's see the money. How about that? And Juan is also like, yeah, we need to see the money first. He's like, oh, but we unload the tools and then the money. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> money first. Then we unload the tools. Okay, okay. And then he pulls out this bank envelope that is stuffed with hundreds. And I'm like, okay, I see there's some money. So uh, he looks at the circular saws, which was the first thing that we had agreed on. And there is 44 circular saws. And the total is 880 because I'm selling them to them for 20 bucks a pop. They're mostly vintage Black & Decker, which is like the cheap, cheapies, you know, they're not the best saws, but they're, they're good. They're just, they're, they're home quality. So anyway, I said, okay, it's $880. So he goes, okay, okay, for this, I give you 800. And I'm like, no, no, it's 880 because when we had talked on the phone and I repeated this to him, I said, if you come up here, I will give you a deal. If I have to come down there, you're paying full price. There's no deal. Okay. So he knew that ahead of time, but now he's trying to renegotiate. And I saw exactly what he was going to do. He was going to go down my list one item at a time and discount the price. So right from the get go, I'm like, no, no, we're not doing that. And so he gives me $800 and he goes, we, we start and we count. I'm like, okay, yeah, you want to count them? We can count them. That's fine. And then you give me the rest of the money. So I have 800 bucks. We start handing him. We have like a little train. He's in the van. I'm pulling out the saws and then Juan is handing them over. So he's counting out loud the entire time until we get to the very end. And then I hear him, no joke. I hear him say 41 three times. <laughs> then he gets the last saw and he says 42. There's only 42. I said, Don Pedro, you said 41 three times. There's 44 saws. And then he didn't fight us on anything. Like he knew he'd been caught. He was trying to hustle me. I'm like, no, there's 44 saws. And Juan is right behind me going, he goes, oh, you don't understand. He's very anal. There's definitely 44 saws. Yeah. <laughs> so That's awesome. So then we go on to um, the drills. So there's um, a bunch of mostly Black & Decker uh, vintage electric hand drills. I have them in buckets. And I told him right off the bat, I'm like, I need the buckets back. You can't have the buckets because I use them. He, and he looks at me and goes, you need buckets? I can get you buckets. <laughs> like like he's the bucket king or something. It's 840 for the drills because I was charging him 15 a pop and there's 56 drills. So I'm like, okay, he's, he's trying to hand me 500 bucks. And I'm like, no, you need to give me 600. Or no, I'm sorry. Uh, it was 840 for the drills. He gives me 800. He's trying to not give me the 40. And I'm like, no, you need to give me an extra 100 because you still owe me 80 from the saws. He goes, oh, no, no, I, I, I not, we, we're doing business. We're doing business. I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, we're doing business. You owe me another 100, okay? And he starts throwing a fit, like a bona fide child fit. And then he's like, okay, I call someone, I call someone. He calls someone on his phone and we're close enough that me and Juan both hear someone screaming and yelling on the phone to the point where he walks away from us, <laughs> okay? I don't know what they were yelling about, but it was like immediately they were angry. And so Juan's like, he's spending too much money. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't really know because we can't hear what's happening. So then he comes back and it takes him, no joke, about 10 minutes to get a video call going with his guy that's in New Guinea right now. Like he's calling Africa to do a video chat 
and find it takes like his apparently his friend's phone in New Guinea. The phone was dying, so then he had to hook it up to a charger. Then he had run out of minutes, so he had to add more minutes onto the phone. Like this is like you, really, and then he finally gets him on the phone, and he he's like he's like here, this is the guy I'm I, I'm buying everything from him. So he shows me, and I'm like I'm waving my hand, and Juan's waving, and then he goes. And he's doing the video where he's showing like the tools. And basically what we figured out is he's making sure that all the tool he's that he's buying from us is what this guy wants in Africa. Because it became very obvious Don Pedro didn't really know what he was doing. <laughs> he knew that he needed tools, but he didn't know what some of the things were. So he's pointing at each thing and we can hear his friend over the phone is like, yes, yes, yes. Yes, that's good. That's good. And then he would go to the next thing. He's like, yes, yes, yes. And he said that for everything except for three heavy-duty angle grinders, like the big, massive, like 40-pound Black & Decker all-metal angle grinders from like the 50s. And so he hangs up the phone. And I said, okay, so he wants everything but the angle grinders. And he says, oh, no, no, he wants them too. And I said, what do you... He said, no, he didn't want them. And he says, oh, no, he said, wow. He said, wow. And <laughs> so we're like, <laughs> okay, he was really impressed. I had been holding the $800 he gave me in my hand the entire time. And so then he peels off another 100. So now we're at 900. And I write it down. Every time he gives me money, I write it down in the book next to the list. So we're clear on how much money is exchanged hands. So then we load all the drills. He counts them out. As he's emptying the bucket, I take the bucket back and put it in the truck so he's not taking the buckets. You know, I'm like, I'm like watching him like a hawk. And then Right in the middle of the... Okay, so this is... Uh, we're getting to the jigsaws. And uh, the jigsaws, there's 25 of them, 20 bucks each. And uh, so it's 500 bucks. So then he's trying to give me 400 for them. He's trying to like... He's trying to get me at every single turn, right? And so um, I, I, he, he didn't want to give me any more money. And I said, I said look, uh, Don Pedro, I could just leave, Okay. I'll leave. I said, somebody else wants this stuff. I said, you just happen to be the first guy. I said, I've got plenty of other people that want this stuff. If you don't want to pay me, somebody else will buy it. And at this point, Juan kicks in. He's like, oh, don't be mean, man. He's trying to do business. Be nice to him. Be nice. I'm like, no, I'm not here to be nice. Okay. We agreed on a price and he's trying to renegotiate. I don't appreciate that. And so he, like Don Pedro throws a fit again. I can't believe I'm out here in the sun. I am thirsty. I need water. And then he storms <laughs> off. Okay. He just storms off into the parking lot, like in no particular, he's not, he's like heading towards a dumpster. Okay. And, and then he's like, he turns around, he goes, do you need water? And I said, no, I don't need water. I said, I have water. He's like, give me your water. And I said, no, I'm not giving you my water. And he goes, why not? Why don't you give me your water? I said, because it's in my water bottle. And he goes, and, and Juan says, yeah, that's that's his water bottle. He carries it with him everywhere. I said, it's aluminum. You're not drinking out of my water bottle. And then he completely forgets that he wanted water. He goes, oh, is it, is it a nice water bottle? <laughs> I said, yeah, it's really nice. So at this point, Juan goes over to his car. He says, hold on, hold on. He goes over to his car and then comes back with three small boxes labeled Pepsi. And I think that it's three cans of soda that are individually boxed, but it turns out they're Pepsi Bluetooth speakers. So if you don't know, Juan is a, he's a soda peddler during the day. Like that's his money job where he makes real money. So these are like promotional items that he gives out from Pepsi. So he gives it to, to Don Pedro 
And at first, Don Pedro doesn't know what it is. He's like, oh, no, I do not drink soda. And he's like, no, these are Bluetooth speakers. And he shows him one. He goes, oh, oh, is it music? That looks very nice. Yes, I take them all. And he takes all three of them and just puts them in the van. Like, he didn't thank them or anything. He just took them, right? <laughs> and he's smiling. Now he's smiling again. So at this point, the old woman shows up. There is a woman that looks like she's probably in her 60s, looks like she's like nine months pregnant, but there's no way she could be nine months pregnant, shows up with one of those thick cardboard flats full of fruit. She's got mangoes, bananas, a pineapple, oranges, and just immediately launches in Spanish trying to sell us all the fruit. <laughs> and I swear, it's like we're, we're just in the parking lot. She just walks right up to us while we're doing this deal with the tools. And so immediately uh, Juan starts like her, the two of them are going back and forth. I think Juan bought like uh, some oranges. So then he goes to his car and he's looking for money. And he's, he can't find any money. He's like, he's like, dude, can I borrow five bucks? And I'm like, here, I give him a five. And he <laughs> buys the oranges. And then Don Pedro is going back and forth with her in Spanish. I pick up like little bits and pieces, but he basically takes five bananas from her and then doesn't give her any money. Like she's standing there waiting and he's like on his phone doing something. And this she's she's waiting there for like 10 minutes. And, and then all of a sudden she just wanders off. And I'm like, Juan, did... Did he give her any money for those bananas? And he goes, I don't know, dude. I, I think they're married. <laughs> so, so like, I'm like, I'm like, at this point, I'm just like, what is happening? So he is, Juan is like, he's still upset that I'm not giving him a discount. So Juan's like, man, give him 20 bucks for the van rental. And I'm like, no, I'm not giving him 20 bucks for the van rental. He didn't have to rent that van. I'm not giving him anything. And so he's gone back and forth and back and forth. And then I'm like, okay, you know what? I'll be reasonable. I said, Don Pedro, I'll give you $100 off, okay? The rest of the stuff here is um, $420, so I'll give you $100 off. He goes, no, no, you give me $120, $120. I said, oh, you don't want the $100 off? Juan, he doesn't want the $100 off. I guess he wants to pay full price then. And he says, no, 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 I, I, I want the hundred dollars. I said, okay, so a hundred dollars, 120. What, what? Oh, you only want to give me 20? Oh, I'll take $20 instead. That's very generous of you. So we're going back and forth and back and forth. Like, and he's getting really worked up. And finally he goes, he goes, okay, okay. I look, I, I need to buy, I need to buy some mattresses from the warehouse here. I need to buy, I, so I need cash. Can I send you money over Zelle? Like I paid you for this, for the driving. And I said, um, yeah, you could send me money over Zelle. Sure. If you send it right now while I'm standing here and he looks, he just stops and looks at me and he goes, what, where is the trust? I said, the trust is when the money hits my account. That's, that's where the trust is. And, and Juan is like, he's a capitalist. And I'm like, yes, I am a capitalist. And then he goes, are you a Christian man? I said, no, I am not a Christian man. And Juan says, I am Christian. <laughs> And he says, he said, I said, I'm a former Catholic. I said, I said, I'm not a Christian anymore. And he says, not the Christian. I said, no, he's the Christian. I'm a heathen. And Juan says, yeah, he's going right to hell. And I said, that's right. The fiery burning coals. That's where I'm going. <laughs> and so he just starts laughing. And he's like, no, 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 you're not going to hell. You're doing a good thing. You're helping me out. I am sending this to Africa. People need this. You're doing, you're not going anywhere. I pray for you. And so I'm like, okay. So he goes, okay, okay. I give you, I give you 
200 on sale, I give you 100 cash. And and I'm like, no. And then he just does it anyway. He sends me the $200 over sale and he gives me $100 <laughs> cash. And I let him win because what he didn't realize is this entire time, he told me already that he wants everything I have. This was the test. The reason that I was so hard on him was to let him know that I was not to be messed with because otherwise, instead of getting $2,500 out of him, which is what I got, or $2,600 if you count the travel money, I would have only gotten $2,000 because he would have nickel and dimed me down this entire list. I would have gotten like next to, you know, he would have just taken all he could because this is part of the culture. His culture is one of negotiating really, really hard and everything is negotiable. So I had to let him know up front that he was not dealing with somebody that was a pushover. So now I know for the future, I have to jack up my prices. And then he, when he hears the high price, then I lower it so he feels he's getting a bargain because the prices I was giving him were already cheap and he just, he wanted cheaper. So if I jack them up and then lower them, he will feel better about what he's doing. Um, so in the end, you know, 2,500 was what he gave me and he loaded everything up. He was super happy. He even called me on my ride home to make sure I was okay, you know, and it was, and none of there was like, he was still like super happy and upbeat. Um, and he already wanted to know at like, as I'm driving home, he's like, when can you send me more pictures? I want to see everything else. And I'm like, you're, you're going to have to wait a couple of days. I've, I've got things to do. Uh, I will get to it when I can. You know, I didn't go into details like I have a podcast, but, you know, he knew that Juan had stuff, too. And I gave him uh, Juan and him are in contact. He actually called me today this morning asking me if Juan had more Bluetooth speakers. <laughs> so that's awesome. That that was the story. That is the, the story of Don Pedro. Was this all the stuff that you got for like 20 cents an item? <sighs> Everything that I sold him today, by my estimate cost me a hundred dollars that's crazy so i if you count the travel money i have twenty five hundred dollars in profit from this transaction and the irony in this is the deal you're talking about the the storage unit deal where i got 400 tools for 200 dollars that occurred at the beginning of july last year so if we go by your terms tom Technically, I have flipped all this stuff because it's less than a year. <laughs> I've flipped everything. Oh, so I see. When it's convenient for you, I'm right. <laughs> of course. I mean, that's always when you're right. Of course. <laughs> um, but yeah, I still have stuff. I, st I told him, I said, this is 25% of what I have. So he wants to buy everything. Um, but Juan and I have this sneaky suspicion that he doesn't have endless pockets. He's, he's like, he has an amount that he can spend every month. So I'm thinking that it's probably going to end up being like once a month I go down there with a with a truckload of stuff. But I, I told him as I was leaving, I said, we are going to agree on a price prior to me coming down here. And I'm going to I'm going to text it to him. And I said, there will be no negotiations. We, we agree on a price first. And that's the price you pay. And he said, yes, yes, that is very good. Yes, I have no problem. I have no problem. So. We'll, we'll see if that actually happens. But um, but yeah, so we have the one price and we have the, I'm going to jack it up so I can lower it for him. So that's, that's where we're at. And you still have both your kidneys. I didn't hear a lot of stories in my day, but I never heard one like that before. 